Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing? You right? I'm okay. I've uh, just had an orange Kit Kat. I've got a cup of coffee in front of me. I've had a good night's sleep. Right. Arsenal have made my weekend good. I mean, what more could I ask for? And now I'm talking orange to you. Orange Kit Kat. Yes. It's even goodlier than I imagined. I know. Um, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, you know, we couldn't wait. We couldn't wait till Monday, frankly. No, we couldn't. I mean, I think if we hadn't played well and won, we might have waited until Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But like so much of our our moods, it's dictated to by the the football team and everything else. So, yeah, no, look, it's weird when you play Friday night. It's a strange kind of schedule to get your head around when it comes to podcasting and stuff like that because you don't want there to be like a big gap between the game and the time that you're talking about the game it just feels like well that happened ages ago it already seems like it happens uh, happened ages ago but here we are it's just Sunday morning exactly because you know last season um when we were in that thing called the Europa League I don't know if you remember it Mm. but it meant that a lot of our games were on Sunday by default so it felt like quite a quick turnaround but now it's, uh, you know, we, people have to bide their time before they get the podcast. Fortunately, uh, they can do a bit of basking after the win over Aston Villa on Friday night. Well, that's exactly it. You can. You can you can just sort of settle into the weekend and see what happens. Savor it. Yeah, exactly. And you can see what happens with all the other Premier League games with a sense of, uh, of fulfilment or whatever it might, uh, it might be. Rather than like when you play in a Monday evening, there's this... You know this, um, you're sort of, not dread, I think that's the wrong word, (laughs) but you're sort of waiting to see what's going to happen with Arsenal and then all the other results. It's hard to put into the kind of context that you would like, but when you've already won and everyone else does whatever it is that they're going to do, you you can compartmentalise, you can deal with these things much more easily, I think. Exactly. Let United and Liverpool take themselves apart, destroy each other in this afternoon's game, and we can uh, sit back and, and relish it. It is nice. It's like you've got it out the way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can put your feet up uh, the rest of the weekend, sort of not really ours to worry about anymore. All cheering on West Ham, even though they're above us in the league against Spurs. Um, yeah, it's it's a lovely feeling. 
It is. So thank you uh, to Arsenal and the players for uh, sorting that out for us. I think it was it was something we were hoping we would see when we played Villa on Friday night. But after what happened against uh, Palace on Monday night, you know, there were doubts and fears and worries and understandable doubts and fears and worries. And that is sort of the life and times of an Arsenal fan right now is that you, you don't quite know what to expect. It can be this, it can be that, it can be something in between. But the this that it was, was a very good this indeed, I think. So we should start talking about it because it was good fun and I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I suppose before we touch on the game itself, um, do we need to talk about your pre-game shenanigans? Is that the right word? That's not the right word. Shenanigans suggest something a bit mischievous and what have you. But you were on Sky Sports along with uh, Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast and Pippa, who does the the Arsenal Women Arscast at times with Tim. Um, And you were talking to Jamie Carragher and and Gary Neville. And, uh, yeah, what was was that like? Um, Because I thought it was a really good piece, came across quite well. Um, You know, the the two guys were, um, well, how were they? to deal with because they've got a, they've got a thing going on I watched their video over the weekend sorry I watched their video over the weekend where they spent time wandering around Liverpool it was it was really good I enjoyed it um, more than I thought I would enjoy um, you know an hour of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher just talking to each other it was good fun but they seem to have a, a, a good relationship between themselves so what was it like for you guys to talk to them in those circumstances they are very intense characters they are a million miles an hour and uh, they take what they do very, very seriously. I mean, they have mm. a laugh while they're doing it, but like, and I, I know that Jamie Carragher talks about this, I think in his video with Gary Neville about how determined he was to kind of be good at this job mm. um, and the kind of sporting ambition that they obviously had in their career, which probably enabled them to achieve beyond the the seeming ceiling of their talent. And I think they would both admit that um, they've applied themselves a lot and, yeah, it's very clear it's their show. I mean, they literally run everything. They're kind of saying, right, come on, we've got to get this. We've got 10 minutes. Let's, let's go here. Let's go here. They're always on the move, always uh, talking. It came about actually because Jamie Carragher got in touch and was like, you know, we want to do this. We want to get fans on. We want to air their views. Um, and then when he turned up, he was talking to me about articles I'd written um, you know, in the past few weeks saying, I thought that was interesting. I agree with that. I disagree with that. Mm. Like clearly they're very across and very engaged with kind of club specific media, which mm. I think is really interesting in their role because previously it was always very frustrating when you get a pundit and, um, you know, they start talking about their club and they just sort of rest on some quite tired yeah. cliches. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously they're probably aware of that. So they work quite hard against that. But it was, it was, we're supposed to do it on the steps outside Highbury. And they turned up and Neville was like, well, can we not go inside? And they were like, no, it's, it's property now. You know, we're not just allowed in there. And he just marched through the doors and like started talking <laughs> to the doorman. And then he was like, right, they said we can do it. We're going in now. And then we went in and filmed it. It was probably there about 15 minutes. And we came out and there was a dad and his kid outside and they'd been waiting outside to come in because they lived there and they, and, and Neville was like, yeah, sorry, listen, here's my number. We'll sort you out some new Christmas lights for the whole building. Sorry about that. It, it was just like a sort of like <laughs> whirlwind of like, um, wow. Action. But yeah, it was, it, I mean, listen, I, I, uh, I had a high opinion of them, to be honest, going in, but coming out, uh, 
that was kind of retained. Carragher just kept referring to Neville as the madman. He just kept saying, where's that madman gone? What's he doing now? Um, but they, they were good. They were good. Madman. I mean, that's not really something I would have associated with Gary Neville, to be honest. I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's like an energy and an mm. intensity. And to be honest, they both have it. It's quite, it's quite a, it, like I say, it's quite a, a yeah. thing to behold. And with the same with the questions they were asking, it was very like looking you dead in the eye, very clear difficult questions you've got to provide an answer mm. in one occasion i absolutely deferred to clive out of desperation I saw that yes <laughs> yeah um but it was listen uh, the feedback's been really nice i mm. think people appreciated that we tried to give kind of a balanced and considered response um mm. and the other guys were great in, in that respect as well mm. and, it, and i think it is good like you know it's nice to hear you know, people who are very uh, informed about the club and very close to the club and hold the club very dear to their heart, given that platform. So, yeah, it was it was fun to do. Cool. Well, look, it, it did come across very well. Um, so, well done to you. Can I do my three. other quick celebrity name drop from the game the other day? Oh, because sure. this was very funny. Why not? So, after the game, um, I was chatting to Arsenal legend Lee Dixon. Mm. Uh, and we were in the press box um, talking about the game and talking about the team. And it, uh, it was very clearly Lee Dixon. He was there having a packet of crisps. And that's, a guy it, that's came, how you know it's Lee Dixon, is it? If you're unsure. Yeah. I was, I was thinking un- of Gary Lineker. <laughs> I was thinking of Gary Lineker. And um, no, <laughs> no, so a guy came up and sort of leant over the railings to the press box and was like, excuse me, guys, sorry to interrupt. They were like, are you going to blog? And I was like, yeah, and they were like, love your stuff. Big Arsenal fan, love everything you do. I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's really kind. And then they just nodded and left. <laughs> Lee Dixon, <laughs> who's played 500 times for the club, just stood there. <laughs> it was incredible. They walked away and I and I went, that, I just sort of said to, as they went, that was Lee Dixon, by the way. I was so pleased Sam Dean from The Telegraph was there. And he was like, that is everything that's wrong with the world. Just summed up in that moment. It was it was disgraceful, but for me, sensational. Hilarious. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it is what it is. This is the media world that we live in these days. So, yeah. I know. I just thought, like, you know, literally, he's a legend of the club. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He needs a podcast. A real... He needs his own podcast. If he wants to be known he, these days. He needs days, to get back into the podcast game in a exactly. big way. Exactly. I think, he, to be honest, he was relieved he could enjoy his, his crisps. crisps in peace. What, but he what? definitely saw the funny side, but it was... Um, yeah, I was so glad someone else witnessed it. Probably the highlight of my career today. <laughs> what flavour were the crisps? Don't know, actually. He offered me some and I thought, oh, no, I'm all right, thank you. So we'll never know. We'll have to get him on to talk about the crisps. Yeah, I think sharing crisps is probably a bit of a no-no during a, a pandemic, you know? Well, especially because he'd sort of got to the bit at the bottom of the bag, you know, where yeah, it's like... it's all crumbly bits. It's not like I could reach in and pull out an intact crisp. mm no yeah. offence, Lee. You know what I mean? Oh, I no, just, no, no, no. I, I mean, I think he would be the first to say, yeah, look, I wouldn't put my bag in a, <laughs> my hand in a bag of your crisps either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, look. <laughs> enough, enough name dropping. Enough of that. Let's talk about the game. And um, Mikel Arteta made some changes to the team from uh, the one that played against Crystal Palace. Kieran Tierney wasn't available, so Nuno Tavares got his first Premier League start. Albert Sambi Lokonga came into midfield. Um, and Martin Odegaard sat on the bench while Alexandre Lacazette 
came into the team. I think it was interesting, Arteta said afterwards, you know, when he saw Lacazette's cameo against Palace the other night, he he basically said on TV afterwards, yeah, that's when my mind was up, that I had to give him a start in the next game. Um, It was, you know, I think a brave kind of a decision because it did mean a slight change of formation. Um, What what did you make of the the formation itself? Because I've seen people talk about it as a 4-4-2, real traditional, old-school 4-4-2, and I'm not quite sure it was. Well, the first thing I think about this is, like, I find it quite a boring discussion after games often, like this thing of well, was it three or was it four? Like, mm. I saw a really good tweet the other day that said, if you're going to talk about a team formation in one term, you should really talk about what, what it is when they don't have the ball because that's kind of the only time it's consistent because mm. they change so much. So I, I I, I would say it probably, I would sort of, I would call it a 4 2 if I had to put a label on it. And you've got to bear in mind that we called what Arsene Wenger played a 4 2 for many, many, many years, mm. even though... It, it, there was a lot more sort of uh, intricacy to it than that. And I actually thought that the shape reminded me of that in some ways, in that it had kind of two central midfielders, two floating wide players and a front two, one generally deeper than the other. Mm. But, you know, the reason that I that I would call it a 4-4-2 is only because when Arsenal got into the final third, um, Lacazette was always kind of at least within the penalty spot of the goal. Mm. So it felt like when Arsenal arrived there, um, very clearly there were kind of two men in the box, which isn't always the case with this team. But it made... What did you... Would you have called it more of a 4-2-3-1? Sort of, yeah. I mean, it was like a 4-2... Yeah, 4-2 or maybe a 4-4-1-1 or 4-2-2-2, kind of. I'm not quite sure. I mean... I looked at the heat maps afterwards, and Lacazette is certainly sitting deeper. He was the guy playing uh, behind Aubameyang. I think the fear was going into this was that if he selected Lacazette, he was going to play Aubameyang on the left, and nobody Mm -hmm. really wanted to see that again. So it was pleasing that he was able to get the two guys in the team and not do that with Aubameyang. So that was good. I think he did play almost like a 10 nine and a half, maybe, Lacazette, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, where, Where he dropped in, and I think... You know, he had a very, very good first half. Um, and I'm not quite sure how to describe why exactly it was as good as it was because it wasn't that uh, his passing was super precise or he was making loads of chances, but he brought this kind of, I don't know what it was, a bit of grit to that area of the pitch that we haven't had in, in recent weeks. And look, I don't think, I think it would be unfair to say that that how we played in that first half was entirely down to Lacazette because I think everybody was really good on the night. I think there was an energy about their performance. There was a commitment about our on-the-ball work, our off-the-ball work. All the things that we complained about the other day, James, seemed to be addressed <laughs> in this performance. Yeah. Pin you know? the podcast up on the dressing room wall. A bit like uh, that. Like, you know, the, the, there was precision in the passing. There was hard work off the ball. We competed for the second ball. We won the second ball a lot. Um, you know, Pala, our Villa really had no answer to what it was we were doing so it wasn't just about Lacazette coming on and adding energy the way he did in the Palace game but he was he added some rough and tumble I don't quite know how to describe it but he got stuck in you know he really did get stuck in in that position I think he had a a very positive first half yeah I completely agree I think that he was very physical I mean after the Palace game uh, I struggled to kind of 
articulate it, but I said I thought we lacked presence in their mm. half of the pitch. And actually, like thinking about it in the days after, I was like, well, we, you know, a, a sort of a golden rule for me with this team is that I, that I kind of think you need, uh, although they're very different players, I think you kind of need either a Lacazette or an Odegaard in their half, in that kind of space. Mm. Um, I just think they, they have certain attributes that makes them good kind of pivotal players. And Lacazette, it was as much about what he did without the ball as with it. I completely agree in that respect in that he was putting his body in the way of everything. And he won a penalty by doing that as well. But he gave away fouls. He won free kicks. He made challenges awkward. Uh, You know, he looked... I mean, granted, he only lasted an hour or so, really, and he was absolutely spent, but he looked very uh, fired up. He Mm. looked physically intense. I thought it just brought another dimension to the team, but it is worth saying, like like you said, the whole team started brilliantly. Yeah. And it was interesting. I think, again, on Monday, we talked about how we start well but fade, and I saw Dean Smith, the Aston Villa manager, saying afterwards, we knew they'd start well. Um, and I guess the crucial difference is that this time we were able to maintain that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the it wasn't 20 minutes. It was 45 minutes. And yeah. it was relentless. And I think maybe you could say Villa got their tactics wrong or their formation wrong or whatever it was. But I, I, I think that does us a disservice, to be honest. Um, you know, sometimes. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, go sorry, on. So I was just going to say that they played with the back three in the first half, mm. right? And Arsenal this season have generally struggled with that. Um, Brentford being an example, Brighton being another. Um, was Brighton three or four? I forget. Anyway, we've struggled with it. But um, I think having Lacazette in that half of the field and, and, and being, you know, by nature a bit more of an attacking player uh, occupied that unit a little bit more. And Arsenal had no issues at all. I mean, Villa switched to a back four at half-time because mm. it was such a mismatch for them. Um, and, you know, they were bad. And I was sat next to the Athletics Villa correspondent and he was saying, this is the worst they've played this season. But I really, really believe that Arsenal deserve massive credit for that. I yeah. think Arsenal made life hell for them. I agree. I agree. I think, like I said, you can you can pick the wrong formation, the wrong tactics, whatever it might be, but I don't think that quite explains a, a period of total domination the way Arsenal did. We've spoken about ebb and flow in the game, and we've talked about teams, you know, having a period even when one team starts well. There's usually a period in a half where the other team have a bit of possession, they have a bit of territory, they have a couple of shots on goal. They might not threaten very much, but Villa had nothing, literally. Nothing nothing when you looked at the halftime stats and there was the graphic up on Sky Sports I think Arsenal had 14 attempts on goal the most we've ever had under Mikel Arteta in a single 45 minutes or in a first half whatever it might be by the time we scored the first goal we'd hit the post um, we'd had seven or eight attempts on goal before the first goal went in so the Mm. the the way that we dominated that game was far more down to how we played the intelligence with which we played, the commitment with which we played, the energy we showed, the the willingness on everybody's part to work and to kind of do the things that they're good at. And by that, I mean, look, we had Lakonga beside Thomas Partey. I think that made a difference. Mm-hmm. Tommy Asu was dominant in the air. 
He won everything when it came towards him. Ben White, we saw him stride forward uh, a couple of times. There was one run in particular where he just picked the ball up outside his half and, and got into basically the Villa final third, just carried the ball all that way. What an amazing way to make progress and immediately turn the, the other team around. Tavares at left back was was sensational. Smith, Rowe, Saka, Lacazette, we've talked about the work that they do. Ramsdale was making good passes. Pretty much everybody on that pitch, did all the things that they're good at well. And Villa could not live with it. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, we had those 14 shots and Villa, I think, in the first half, didn't have a single attempt on goal. Um, Which, if it was a boxing match, the referee would have stopped it. I mean, it was so one-sided. And I think... I mean, yeah, I don't want to go too big on this, but it did feel like there was a kind of simplicity to what Arsenal were doing that made them very effective. Um, Back to basics might be a bit reductive, but it just felt like, like you say, people's strengths were emphasised and people delivered against them. Mm. Um, We weren't passive. Yeah, and and, and that's something we talked about a lot, right? How, How passive we had been... Uh, both with the ball, but mm. also especially without the ball. And Arsenal, you know, were a lot more intense off the ball when it oh, came yeah. to winning it back. Yeah. Um, Even in the second half when, you know, we were 3-0 up and Villa were back in the game because they did make a formation change. They made a personnel change. They were more active in the second half than they were in the first. But you could still see that commitment where players were chasing down. I remember one incident in particular where it was, I think, Gabriel and a couple of others just swarmed around a Villa player. And I think they ended up with a throw on halfway. It wasn't like it was a particularly dangerous moment or anything like that. But what it does is it sets a tone. It says, this is how we're going to play. We are not going to let you play in any area of the pitch. We're not going to let you be comfortable at all. And that makes such a difference. You know, it's, it's simplistic or reductive or whatever it is, but like, we can talk about formations, we can talk about systems, we can talk about tactics, but if you don't work hard enough, Mm. if your commitment isn't there as a team, then it's not that those things don't matter. It's that they become the, 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 the opposition can work around them. Like you can have a great system, but if nobody works hard enough, what fucking difference does it make? You know? Yeah. And we didn't let them get that foothold and, you know, I have to say that the level of work and the intensity with which Arsenal played, mm. it was, you know, one of those occasions where I, I was nervous going into the game, you know, especially when I saw, you know, Kieran Tierney's out as well. I know he's not been playing well, but he's an important player for us. Um, you know, Villa smashed us at the Emirates last season. We weren't great against Palace. But I really think, once again, the players made it very clear that... Mm. Uh, <laughs> For for all the kind of ups and downs of the results, there's no sense whatsoever that they're not on board with this manager. I mean, the, you know, the degree of effort they put in across the ninety minutes, I thought was excellent. Um, so yeah, he does he does seem quite resistant to that Arteta. You know, however bad it seems to go, and however bad from the outside we may feel about it, um, mm. they don't quit on him very much. No, I mean, I think that was evident in the the response to. 
you know, th- th- those opening three games of the season. True, yeah. You yeah. know, and I, I don't want to keep harp- harping back on this, but, you know, we've talked about Arteta saying this. these were the best 15 days of my life in football or whatever it was he said. You know, I think it was because he, he got the backing of the players and we've seen an uptick in terms of results. Performances have been, you know, um, a bit of a seesaw, but results have been better. Uh, we haven't been losing. So I think you can't do you can't do that without having the players on board. And I think they are. You know, I really do think they are. Um, have you seen that league table, by the way, that's floating around? Uh, someone sent it in to us today for the yeah, questions. Yeah, I've got it in the questions. I've got okay. it in the questions. So we'll, we'll, yeah, it is. We'll deal with that in the questions. Let's talk um, about the goals. Go on. Oh, no, sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say one more thing about the team, which is that like one of the issues... I felt on Monday against Crystal Palace was that some of our best players felt a little isolated. You mm. know, I, I wrote about Thomas Partey and how, you know, while I understood, you know, the, the need to have a central midfielder who was kind of covering a left back to an extent, I always felt like mm. you're kind of vacating the middle of the field and leaving him to fend for himself a bit. Aubameyang was working really hard against Palace, but not getting massive service. And I just thought through the centre of the team, we had three, I would call genuine partnerships, you know, Gabriel and White we've mm-hmm. seen before, but I thought Lukonga and Partey played closer together, yep. had more of a sort of collaborative relationship and I thought they both looked better for it. And Lacazette and Aubameyang, whether one's playing as 10 or nine and a half, whatever you want to call it, mm. they are a partnership, you know, and we know from having seen them play together, it's something they relish, it's something they enjoy doing you know they they, I think they do combine pretty effectively and I think it helps them both to an extent to have the other one there I think it's going to be horses for courses maybe not every single game but I I think that really helped it just gave the team a structure all the way through the centre of the pitch yeah I think that's a fair point Um, and we did see how Aubameyang and Lacazette combined um, you know, in the in the Palace game as well, when he came on, and we do yeah. have we do have a question about question or two about Lacazette, so we'll deal with that in the second half. Um, let, let's talk about the goals. Um, Thomas Partey got his first Arsenal goal. Uh, he'd hit the post from a corner a couple of moments before. Um, not the cleanest, most um, Partey esque strike that you would see when he scored those goals in the in the interlull for for Ghana. We did have some questions on the Discord. People saying how did um, how did he enjoy playing against Zimbabwe Villa because he scored twice against Zimbabwe. But look, it wasn't exactly the the most stellar strike of his life. I think one of those headers that came off um, his shoulder and, and crept in. But you know they all count, and I'm sure that will be a weight off for him. Yeah, I think we were all hoping for a kind of I was there screamer moment. Um, <laughs> but maybe that was never going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, I mean, he actually got on another corner as well, one from the right-hand side uh, that he got up to at the near post. And I'm mm. not sure I've ever really seen or noticed that before. I thought our set-piece delivery on the day was better than it has been. Um, it's interesting, Nicola Pepe had been taking a lot of set-pieces for us. He didn't play, of course, in this game. And I thought Saka and Smith-Rowe, did a pretty decent job of it. Um, yeah, and uh, pleased to see him get off the mark. Maybe not in the fashion we imagined. And uh, Emmy Martinez, would he have wanted to keep that out, do you think? Uh, I guess he would have wanted to keep 
pretty much everything out considering he's yeah, playing against true. Arsenal again. Uh, but I don't, I wouldn't necessarily blame him on that because I think it was, it was one of those where maybe if Partey had made cleaner contact, it would have been an easier save for the goalkeeper. True, but it yeah. just sort of dribbled off his shoulder and, and scuttled in. So, um, yeah, that one. And then the penalty just before halftime. I mean, I think we were really good value for the lead. We were a good value for the 2-0 lead. Uh, but of course, at 1-0, it is slightly different. I thought this was quite an interesting thing. Like Dean Smith, the Villa manager, got very perturbed or vexed about the idea that, you know, there was two minutes of injury time. This was one minute, 50 seconds, and then he shouldn't have been allowed, put the rebound in, whatever it was. But isn't the whole thing about injury time or stoppage time, it is a minimum of two minutes, a minimum of three minutes. And the referee at his discretion can and often does play more than that. How many times have we been at the end of a game, you've got a single goal lead and it's four minutes of injury time and it's four minutes 30 or four minutes 40 or five minutes on, you're going, fucking come on, you know? Yeah. So that aspect of it, I, I didn't quite get. I mean, do you think this this incident would have been anywhere near as contentious had it been, let's say, in the 40th minute or the 30th minute? It was just the fact that it was coming up on halftime and everyone was expecting the referee to blow his whistle for halftime that they felt especially hard done by for the penalty. Maybe. I mean, I thought it was quite a strange foul in the, like... Uh, the actual contact, I think, is quite sort of difficult to um, figure out what's mm. gone on there. Like, Lacazette gets there first, and the guy, it looks like the guy sort of goes through him, but he sort of doesn't. I think he sort of kicks his own leg and doesn't actually clean him out. Mm. It's almost like he's trying to clean him out and doesn't quite. <laughs> so when it went, so when they went to the review, I wasn't like, we'll definitely get this, you know. I thought, because VAR's been a bit, the bar's been higher, right, in terms of what, mm. what they will turn over. Were you very confident it would be given? Mm, not really. When I looked at it, I, I tried to apply my, what would I think if this happened at the other end mode of uh, assessing penalties. And if it hadn't been given, I don't know that, that I would have been fuming. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think if it was given against us, I, I wouldn't be happy. I, exactly. That's the way I was thinking. I was going, if that went against us, I'd be like, oh, that's a bit generous. That is a bit generous. So when it was but given, Lacazette I was does surprised. well. Yeah, no, no, from no. From an he Arsenal does. perspective. Yeah, 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 he does. He, I mean, he it's gets his body smart. in the way, he, he puts his foot across the guy. I mean, I think there is a case that the guy basically comes between his legs and takes the ball, but because Lacazette has put his legs there, yeah. it, it means he sort of comes through him to do it. And. He he, yeah. He creates a foul. I mean, I think he also throws himself on the floor. Um, well, no complaints that. whatsoever for me. He did a fair bit of that on the night. I think he part of his remit was get some of these guys booked. I honestly think like that was how he played. <laughs> um, I mean, he has he has I think over the last couple of years added an element of theatrics. Um, yeah. to his game there was a, you know uh, wasn't he did a very good impression of the screamer pillar one one game during um, the lockdown where he sure. got a foul and what have you I, I think you know maybe it's with experience maybe he just fancies a bit of a lie down during the game which is fair enough why not get his breath yeah, back get, he's been in <laughs> London the home of theatre he's been at the West End you know he's, it's influenced him um, he's looking at acting as his next career yeah 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 football improv um uh, so yeah no look I mean he did do well and it is one of those where it's just a, a split second of timing you know where a player goes to clear the ball and a guy runs in and they actually kick his leg it's no intent of to course. make a foul but look we got it um, Aubameyang 
missed it or Emmy Martinez saved it, but Aubameyang put the re- uh, rebound away, which I think was not that it was fortunate. It was good um, tucking away of the rebound, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a bit hairy for a couple of minutes because I wasn't a hundred percent confident with Aubameyang and the penalty. I have to say. No, or, we, or, or was it that you quite fancied Emmy Martinez? I mean, he's got a decent yeah. record, hasn't he? Um, yeah. He tends and- to go to that side a lot, Aubameyang. He- well, I... Maybe, oh, Aubameyang, I thought you meant Martinez. Yeah, no, he does. No, no, no. I think that if I was a goalkeeper and I was facing Aubameyang, that's the side I would go, you know? Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I think he deserves some credit, actually, for the way he responds to the save. You know, often you see players have a penalty save, the hands immediately go to the head. Mm. They're kind of at, they're kind of dead in that moment in the game. He is absolutely alive and so quick to get on the rebound and puts it away pretty well at two off his left foot. And that's the second time in a week that he's scored off a rebound. Mm. Um, you know, he responded brilliantly to the Pepe shot that was saved, anticipated everybody... So that's some goal scoring instincts there, mm. but yeah, I, I, it, I was watching it thinking Martinez is going to save this, obviously, <laughs> that kind I, of thing. I, I think you know, I think Lacazette is a better penalty taker than Aubameyang. I, I do too, but I understand why Aubameyang took it. He's the captain. Um, there was there was that whole thing. Remember when Henri wouldn't take a penalty when he had been fouled for the penalty for yeah, whatever somebody- reason. Somebody told me, I forget who it was, but someone in the press box said they thought they saw Aubameyang try to give it to Lacazette. Oh, yeah? That there was a conversation. Um, but maybe that that thing of having just been fouled, he didn't want to take it, or maybe just deference to the captain. I don't know. Hmm. Um, look, it got put away in the end. I agree. I think Lacazette is probably the superior penalty taker. I, I, I wonder if Pepe might be the better penalty taker than Aubameyang, to be honest. But... Hmm. We got there in the end. Right? Yeah, we got there in the end. I think we were a good value for the for the two nil lead. So Villa made a change at halftime. They brought on Leon Bailey, changed their formation. There was mm-hmm. an early save for Aaron Ramsdale, and I cannot believe that we've got to the thirty second minute of this podcast before we mention the man of the match for me, uh, Emil Smith Rowe. Um, mm-hmm. What a player this young man can be! I have to say, I loved pretty much everything about what he did the other night. I mean, I've loved pretty much everything about him since he's come into the team. Since he came into the team last December, I think he's grown, he's maturing, he's he's now um, got a bit more end product to him. Uh, I think that was his third goal of the season. He's got a couple of assists this season as well. So he's starting to put the numbers up that we we need for our number 10 to put up. But the goal itself is an absolute illustration of what an all-round fantastic performance this was from him because Villa had the ball. He was in the Villa half. They worked it down the left-hand side. He got back into our half to make an interception, made the interception, started the counter-attack, got on his bike. There was the flick from Aubameyang. Yes, he got a little bit of luck with the finish, but the fact that it came from defensive work from a position where he was in the attacking or in the opposition half back to do defending sprinting down the pitch to get into a position to receive the ball quite similar to the Spurs um, goal when he he did the same thing uh, to provide the pass for Aubameyang this time he took it on himself got a bit of a deflection went in off the post but absolutely no less than he deserved and I think 
it was, I don't want to say that it was a coming of age performance or something or anything like that, but it was just so good for a guy who's only 20 years of age and who only came into the Arsenal first team 10 months ago or 11 months mm-hmm. ago, whatever it might be. I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He was. And going in both directions, I saw mm. a tweet from Paul Poz um, saying that he had, I think, made three interceptions in the five minutes before the goal. You know, he was doing the mm. defensive work as well. And that's where this goal comes from. It's just a brilliant goal, I think, all round. I mean, the, the interception, the sprint power that he shows, that flick from a Bamiang to Smith Row, we saw that, didn't we, in the North London derby? Mm. Very similar move. And, and I think as well, yeah, he gets a bit of luck with the finish, sure. But it's the touches that he takes. He takes the ball, I think, on his head, right? When mm. Aubameyang plays it on. And then it's the couple of touches he takes after that that just sort of kill it in front with of him. Um, I mean, uh, the guys on Sky, Carragher and Neville, I think Carragher said he's he, there's not a more exciting player to watch with the ball at his feet in the Premier League in terms of the way he dribbles with it. And I do think he has just got those very sort of soft feet you know, where he can just um, absolutely bring anything under control, mm. seemingly, seemingly. It's a great goal and he really deserved it. I agree, it's mad that we hadn't really talked about him until now. He was brilliant. He played the role, I thought, uh, superbly off the left-hand side, did every aspect of the game well. Um, yeah, I sort of haven't really got enough superlatives really for the performance. And, you know, we talk about, oh, we, we look better since... X happened, you know, since we signed Tomiyasu or since the start of the season. Since Emil Smith-Rowe came into the team, the difference he's made to our performances and results is pretty huge. Oh, yeah. Can someone do that league table? (laughs) Someone do that league table, please. I know there's somebody listening who's good at that kind of stuff. You know, the league table since Smith-Rowe emerged into the team um, last December against Chelsea. I mean, what did you make of Mikel Arteta's comments about him? Because he was asked obviously in the press conference about him and he said uh, about the end product that he's delivering and he said that should be a habit he should demand that in his game because he's capable of doing it he still needs to develop more in other areas the other night he wasn't 100% fit but he made a step forward and wanted to play with a difficult injury that he had he wasn't complaining he was just looking forward he's changed the way he's living a little bit as well and some habits that he had he's been superb so it was quite a a number of things to, to take away from that from Arteta like he's going yes this is good but we want more demand more you know keep him on his toes um, you know credit to him for playing through an injury uh, also some talk about I guess lifestyle if he's talking mm. about changing the way he's living a little bit I don't know quite what that refers to whether it's ice cream uh, could it be ice cream <laughs> he's cut he's finally well, cut his ice cream habit it could be I mean it could be just a diet thing it could be a nutrition thing it could be a you know whatever it might be it's yeah. obviously something that has impressed Arteta. It could be something as simple as as turning up for training earlier or doing more drills. And and to be fair to Smith Rowe, he, he talked about it afterwards, didn't he, with Carragher and Neville and, and Kelly Cates on, on Sky, where he was saying, yeah, I've been working really hard in training on, on finishing and all that kind of stuff. And you know, if this is what's, if this is a consequence of him paying more attention and working on aspects of his game, that's a really pleasing thing as well. Because, you know, I always remember a story of uh, Robin Van Persie when he was at Arsenal in the early stages. And he said, I can't, can't quite remember what it, what he said, but he was in the 
training ground or he was having a shower or a bath or something like that. And from whatever window he could look out, he saw Dennis Bergkamp. And Dennis mm. Bergkamp was out there practicing finishing with whoever it was he was practicing finishing with and they were doing drills or shooting drills or whatever. And Van Persie, who was a young player at that point, sort of thought, fuck, if Dennis Bergkamp is doing this at his age and he is one of the best players in the world, technically more or less incomparable to anybody else, mm. you know, I've got to step things up here. I've got to do this differently. I've got to work harder myself. So, you know, for that kind of mindset to be present in a in a young player who you know obviously is is very well thought of and highly regarded at Arsenal um it's good to know that you know he realizes that 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 work has to be done and that work will ultimately be beneficial and uh, beneficial and and uh, be a reward for him when he when he gets on the pitch and fitting, uh, I think that he did it against Aston Villa, of course, who <laughs> uh, tried to buy him in the summer. You can see um, why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, actually, that the player they ended up getting, of course, was, um, well, the, the player they had already signed, I think, at that point was Edward mm. Buendia, um, chatting to the Villa correspondent. He was like, you know, as yet, they've not really seen anything from him in the Premier League. Smith Rowe is having a terrific season and yeah showed all the reasons why Arsenal was so determined to keep him and they gave him a big new contract they gave him that number 10 and what's really exciting is that he seems to be relishing that responsibility mm. um I, I yeah I thought he was really excellent and uh yeah he, he deserved the goal really to crown the performance he did uh Villa did get one back uh you know a very good strike a bit of an opportunistic strike though I think from Jacob Ramsey uh really good finish mm. into the top corner um Aaron Ramsdale was not at all happy about the defending because uh, I think he wanted a, a clean sheet but you know I think we talked about this on on WhatsApp after the game you know it was a shame we didn't get a clean sheet but I think this kind of a win is much more encouraging for us than, let's say, a 1-0 where you, you grab a goal and you're hanging on. A sort of Norwich-Burnley-style win, which I think, are, yeah. you know, they have their own merits. Of course they do. Any win is, is you know, is worth talking about. But I would prefer to concede a goal and play the way that we did than just basically scrap a 1-0 win because none of the questions that we want to see answered from this football team are answered by that kind of a win or that kind of a, a performance, you know? So yeah. it's a shame we didn't get the clean sheet, but I think it's it's basically, for me, it's it won't be for Aaron Ramsdale. It maybe won't be for the defenders who want to keep clean sheets, but for me, it's essentially an irrelevance, um, you know, on the on the basis of what we saw in the game overall. Yeah, I think I I could see their frustrations, and they weren't short. Uh, they weren't slow in letting kind of the centre midfielders know about it in terms of being being maybe a little bit lax on the edge of the box. But you're not going to see many finishes quite like that. I mean, it was sort of postage stamp stuff mm. right into the top oh, yeah. corner. Um, yeah, I, I think the defensive unit were generally good on the day, and I think they probably wanted that to be reflected in the clean sheet. But I agree with you that showing some attacking potential was mm. much more important for Arsenal at this, at this time in the season. And the fact we did that um, is really encouraging. You know, we were all looking for uh, something to kind of grasp onto. And mm. we we really kind of got everything 
we could have asked for from this particular game. I think so. I mean, Arteta, afterwards, he was asked if it was a blueprint, and he said, yeah, very close to it. And I'm, I'm cautious to say, look, this is the way that we should play every time from now on. Because, I, you know, we are going to be inconsistent. We are a young team. There are going to be performances where we don't reach that level, where things don't quite come off. But what I do think is that we can demonstrate that that energy, that willingness to work hard off the ball. You know, we can do that in games where we don't maybe play as well or where we don't create as much or where we don't dominate as much. I think there'd be a lot more patience and understanding for results which don't quite go our way. You know, some drop points here or there. Uh, you know, a draw, you know, might be less painful if we can see that, like, the team has worked as hard as they did. You know, I think that Mm. was part of what was wrong or part of why the reaction to the Palace game was so visceral. It wasn't that Palace played us off the park. It was that we just did not compete as well as we should have. You know, this is the thing with a young team. Um, It can be inconsistent, but fuck me, it's got legs. It's got, it's got stamina. It's got fitness. You know, these are young, young men. This is not a team of 35 year olds waddling around the pitch like Samir Nasri in a, in a, you know, in a friendly game. So, you know, we should be able to maintain or at least try and match that level of commitment and performance. And there was an interesting aspect to what Arteta said afterwards. He said in the dressing room after Monday night, they accepted it wasn't good enough. Uh, they knew we played uh, to a good level in some parts, but at a level that was not acceptable in others. So there does seem to be at least a, an awareness and acknowledgement that um, when we have nights like Crystal Palace, like nobody's there sitting, oh, we were unlucky, you know, we should have won that, blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, I like that aspect of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we've seen a bit of that in player interviews, you know, sort of... Uh, self-examination and a sense of high standards it's interesting i don't in any way mean to uh what's the word to kind of whitewash or to kind of uh uh excuse the crystal palace performance but i do think maybe the importance of that last minute goal is slightly reframed by the fact by arsenal's performance against aston villa you know just in terms of uh keeping the morale from sapping entirely I think it was important probably to to stay unbeaten in that game uh, and probably help provide a platform for what we saw in this one it's Mm. really interesting that question of you know can they do this every week and (laughs) it's a big question that is the question that is the that is the I mean whatever about our ability to do it I mean surely that has to be the aspiration not for us as fans, yeah. but for, for, for this team, because they looked like they enjoyed themselves. The crowd was great. The atmosphere sounded great. It was loud, as you you told me on, uh, you know, during the game. There was a really good atmosphere. Yeah. Everybody enjoyed themselves. And I'm sure that for the players, and the, well, obviously the manager, but for the players themselves to come off a pitch at the end of a game, a Premier League game against a team that has beaten us whatever, what, two or three times in a row and beaten us well in a couple of those games, you know, to come off that pitch and and know you played well and know you worked hard and were rewarded for your hard work with goals and points and the cheers and the atmosphere. I mean, that must feel fucking great. 
So for those guys, that has to be the aspiration. I'm realistic enough, I guess, uh, most people are realistic enough to know that there are always going to be highs and lows in a season. There are going to be games where you play brilliantly, games where you don't play anywhere near as well. But as much as possible, trying to come to that top level on a more consistent basis has to be the the aspiration. You know what it was all down to, Andrew? Crisps. The, pr- the pre-match light show. Did they show that on TV? Uh, I think they did. I don't. I I tend to not watch a lot of the the pre match stuff or in the five minutes. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, I like, they, so that's something they used to do yeah. when we were in something called the Champions League. If anyone remembers that, oh, um, yeah. and uh, I think maybe the Europa League some nights, and they basically did a big pre game light show, and it, it seemed to trick Arsenal into thinking they were a European caliber team at least. So, uh, yeah, we've got to keep that maybe. Well, you know game. what? I mean, things that build atmosphere, yeah, are fucking good. They are good. I mean, look, Friday night, everyone's off work. They've had a few pints. Uh, the the buy one get one free beers in the in the stadium. I'm sure helped with that too, but. But, like, things, I mean, you can't quantify it, obviously, but if you get people there, if you get them behind the team, if you, like, a light show, if it raises the roof a bit, I mean, why the fuck not? It's great to get, you know, the, the, the support behind the team. And, and you know, you uh, was it you or Andrew Allen maybe talked about it, actually. Andrew Allen talked about it midweek on the blog, you know, that the maybe the demographic inside the stadium has changed a little bit in terms of the age profile of some of the fans and and... Look, I, I think we we would all prefer a stadium that is loud behind the team and, you know, a, a fun experience for everybody, particularly when it's matched by the performance that we got. So Yeah, and the place was alive. It really was. I mean, you know, there was that synergy between the team and the crowd. And it's it's interesting, you know, we've had two great great occasions really at the Emirates Stadium this season maybe mm. great is too strong but very good we, the win over Spurs which was fantastic and this performance as well and it, it comes off the back of Palace where everyone was kind of wondering you know where are we going what is the plan and what Mikel Arteta desperately needed was some kind of indication of the path mm. forward some sort of demonstration of the potential of this project and you know he absolutely got that in this game and mm. I think I think it is unrealistic to expect them at this age, partly, to do that every week. Even if things like the application, I think we can demand that. Um, but I think as long as we keep, as long as it, as long as it, this remains in view, and yeah. by that I mean as long as we see this kind of semi regularly, some sense of okay, well, this is the aim we want to try and achieve this consistently. I think people actually will have time for it because. You know, it was pretty thrilling the way we played against Villa. Yep. A lot to enjoy. A lot to enjoy. So, look, onwards and hopefully upwards to the next one. And, and uh, are mm. you all right? Did you nearly fall I over I just there? Uh, sort of moved under the desk, but accidentally smashed into the desk. <laughs> all right. Will we leave it there for part one? Let's leave it there for part Leave one. it there for part one. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Um, would you mind if I started? Would that be okay? No, by all means. Right. So we had a number of questions on this one um, when it comes to uh, Alexandra Lacazette and his performance on uh, Friday night and after the performance on Monday. Uh, let me see here. I've got a couple from the Discord. Daniel Refat says, Good, uh, Goodly morning, gents. Lacazette's attitude has been absolutely spot on so far this season. He really seems to be a leader and a role model for these young players. What role do you think he should have in the squad for the rest of the season? It feels as though he should be more than just a backup striker. Um, and there was another one as well, which I can't find. But basically the question, as uh, many other questions have uh, come out, is about whether or not um, we should offer a contract extension uh, to Lacazette. Let me see if I've got one here uh, from Twitter. Uh, Dushyant Gupta, who's at Dushyant AFC, says, do you think Arsenal should be offering Lacazette a one plus one year contract extension? Uh, no, I don't, personally. I think that kind of that decision <clears throat> has been taken. Uh, and that's why I think you do have to commend Lacazette's attitude I thought and it looked to be honest that he might be headed into kind of Sylvan Wiltord territory uh, you know in terms of kind of not figuring in the final year of his contract particularly and maybe who knows in the second half of the season things may change a little as he begins to think about his longer term future rather than his very immediate future um, but so far, he has done everything that's been asked of him. Mm. He's been out of the side. He's not had many Premier League minutes. When he has got on, he's worked hard. He's looked determined to make an impact. Everything I hear uh, about him at the training ground and in the dressing room is super positive. I think the young players really um, see him as one of the the leadership figures in the side, even if uh, he's seemingly on the way out. So, yeah, I think essentially he's doing well. He's done what a good pro should do. Maybe we shouldn't be as surprised by that as we are, frankly. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have to change or rip up the long-term plan. I still think that as as good as he's been, I think somewhat there's someone who's younger and maybe better suited even mm. to that role in the attack what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't give him a contract extension either. Um, I like what he's done this week, but you know the. Maybe you could put it down to lack of match fitness, the fact that he was so fatigued after 60, 70 minutes. But it has been something of a recurring theme throughout his Arsenal career. You know, mm-hmm. this this concept that he's not really a 90-minute player, which I think is, I don't think is unfair. Um, I think he can be a really useful part of the squad this season because he does combine well with Lacazette. I think he does give us maybe a different option um, you know, in, in the formation that we use, the second striker, we're going to need him when Aubameyang goes off to the uh, African Cup of Nations as well. Very true. So yeah. I think, you know, there's plenty of football for him to play. But if you're looking for, and I think everybody is, everybody's looking for Arsenal to improve, to get better. Surely the way to do that is let Lacazette see out his contract, get the most out of him, get as much as possible out of him for the rest of this season, for the rest of his contract, and then identify the qualities that you think he brings to the team, the ones that you need, and find them in another player, a younger player, somebody who's got maybe a higher ceiling, a bit more potential, time to develop, somebody without wanting to sound harsh, but, you know, with a better engine, somebody who can do it for 90 minutes, who can do it for 90 minutes, game after game after game. So... Fair play to him, because like you say, it can get awkward between clubs and players when you have a situation where a player is in the final year of his contract. Mm-hmm. It can just flitter away, you know? we You mentioned Will Tord. He barely played in the final year of his contract under Arsene Wenger, despite the fact that he had, you know, made a, a fairly substantial contribution to our successes in the years previously. Mm-hmm. So it could well be a case that that Lacazette isn't necessarily playing for a new deal at Arsenal, but he's playing for a new deal somewhere else. And if that's the case, if he's willing to, you know, put the hard work in and the commitment in, um, then why not make the most of it? Utilize it, but don't, don't fall into the trap of extending a player who is in the September, October of their career, which then prevents you from... Um, sort of rebuilding the squad in the in the image in which it's been rebuilt elsewhere, if you know what I mean, because of the, the age profile of the young players. Yeah, I mean, sort of related to that, um, this question came from Camilo Rios, and they said, Arteta and Edu's plan this summer was clearly youth, and we addressed defence and midfield. Mm. But up top, Mikel Arteta doesn't seem to believe in Eddie Nketiah, Fuller and Balogun, or Gabby Martinelli. So do you expect some any major moves this coming transfer window? In January? Don't think I so. I guess so. Yeah. Don't think so. Um, do I expect any moves? No. No, because I do think that they obviously have some faith in Balagoon because they gave him a new contract. And it's interesting, actually, in his press conference on Friday, Arteta was asked about Lacazette and a new situation. Um, and he said something along the lines of, it's not... Um, it's not an individual situation because it has a knock-on effect. Um, and I think what he meant by that, it was hard to fully understand what he meant by that, but I think he meant, like, if you give Lacazette a new contract, what does that mean for Balagoon? What does it mean for Martinelli, for example, mm. as well? Because it, it becomes a path blocker. 
you know, if you if you give him a new deal. Um, I think we saw, you know, young forwards can be super, super exciting, but we also saw on that opening game of the season, didn't we, when, when Aubameyang and Lacazette were ruled out. I don't know mm-hmm. how well you remember it. I mean, nobody was pleased that they were ruled out, but I think there was real excitement, wasn't there, about the idea that Balogun was going to start and Martinelli was going to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not blaming them in any way whatsoever for our defeat to Brentford, but I think you saw, particularly with Balogun, that he's got some way to go before he's r- properly ready for football at Premier League level. Like he was bundled around the place like like a kid who hasn't had a great deal of experience of playing football against men. And the reason is because he is a kid who hasn't had a great deal of experience of playing football against men. He needs to learn that side of the game. So I understand why, you know, Martinelli hasn't played as much as we would like. I understand why Balogun has barely played. Eddie, you know, he's had his chances and he's in the final year of his contract. And I think, you know, if you have a, if you have to choose between Lacazette and Enketia at the moment, I think you choose Lacazette because, you know, he is a more rounded player um, with more experience, probably with a, a greater skill set than than Eddie, you know, who's a goal scorer, a bit of a poacher, whereas Lacazette, I think, is a better all-round game than Enketia. So mm-hmm. I understand why these guys haven't had as much football as people might like, Um the bigger question then is is what happens to them in the coming weeks and months and what have you uh, to keep them on board, interested, developing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang both started against Aston Villa um, and neither Nketiah nor Balogun uh, even made the matchday squad. Mm. Um, that shows you, you know, the situation they're in. I, I personally, I really think Balogun needs to go out on loan and I, yeah. and I hope it happens. But yeah, listen, I think they will address the striker, but I don't think it will be till next summer. Um, I just think the chances of them getting the right person, the right profile, mm. someone who ticks all those boxes mid-season, feels slim. I mean, nobody wants to lose a goal scorer halfway through a season, you know? So no, uh, yeah, I, I think that's one for for next summer for sure. Okay, um, let's do this one. We talked about it in the first half of the season. Let me see if I can find the the tweet here. It was from um, it was from the man from East Lower, and I thought I'd opened it up here, but where is it gone? Oh, here it is. Uh, he says. Uh, at East Lower. Four of Friday's back five are new this season and the other has only been here a year. All seem very astute signings and are working together remarkably well. Turns out this isn't really a question, but I think it's, uh, I think uh, given it's a baby-faced defence, it's worth some kudos. And then somebody else posted uh, which was Martin at Martin 402 That's probably his phone number as well, um, who posted this league table. Um, league table since Gabrielle White, Ramsdale and Tommy Asu came into the side. Um, this is one of those where some people will say, 
this is a ludicrous thing to do because, you know, you can't just have a league table with those players. But basically, we'd be in second place with 14 points, uh, played six, won four, drawn two, lost zero. The only teams that have lost zero are Man City uh, and Liverpool, of course. Goal difference plus six, which is, you know, in stark contrast to our goal difference before that. So, you know, is it is it time to give these guys some kudos or do we need to see a bit more from them before we start to, you know, really get excited? What I like is that we can always, like, we, we to use a football analogy, if we move the goalposts enough, we always look all right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We should be allowed to decide when the season starts and when it ends. I think it's been a fairly kind run in terms mm-hmm. of those six league games. Um, but equally... A lot of people were prepared to make judgment on this team after three league games. So, you know, I think taking a sample of six is uh, within our rights too. Yeah, I, I think the defence does deserve praise and I thought they were all um, good against uh, Villa. And, you know, we've had a lot of questions specifically about Gabriel, yeah. actually. Um I'm just having a look. Have you got any in front of you immediately? But a lot of people ask different questions about Gabrielle. Yeah, um, I do. Hey, get here one. we go. Go on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Emil Smith. Emil Smith, row your boat. Who with a name like that had to get a question today? I think um, says this sounds ridiculous, but is it possible that Gabrielle's improvements from last season have gone a little under the radar? His passing is more accurate and purposeful. He's shown less rashness, and he's gone from struggling with a new country and language under a veteran defender in Louise to serving as a linchpin in a brand new young defence. Mm. Is there not quite a lot to be excited about? Yeah, there was a question on Twitter as well from Mitch, who's at the AFC Franco, who said, "Why is it that Gabriel seems to get no credit?" for his performances so far this season. One of the most underrated centre-halves in the league, in my opinion. I suppose the quick answer to that is that he's not a new, new signing. He's still a relatively new player, but the others have obviously come in this season and come straight in, and there's a little bit more focus on them. But I agree. I think he has... I think he's taken a step forward in what we've seen so far from him this season compared to last season. Like many, I mean, he's still, what was he, 22 when he came in last year, which is still quite young for a central defender. Mm. Um, you know, Lauren Koscielny was 24 when he came in um, from France. And far from the finished article. Yeah, exactly. It took point. him a couple of years as well. So, you know, he was 22. He came in, new league, struggling team at times. David Luiz, iffy defending in general. Uh, until such time as we we sorted that side of it out. He had COVID, he had an injury, I think, in the summer. Uh, But I've been impressed. I really have been impressed with the way that he has played. I enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed the way that he um, has physically relished some of the challenges that he's been involved in, some of the, 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 the opponents that he's had to deal with. You know, you think about the the Burnley game and, you know, those two guys are, are tough to deal with from a physical point of view. And I think we said this the other day, didn't we, that in the absence of Xhaka, he has become, you know, much more of an outlet um, on the ball. I think he's looked better on the ball. Uh, I think the way he passes the ball is slightly different as well. It's more accurate. There's a bit more zip to his passing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it is six games. There are going to be ups and downs. He's going to make a mistake here and there, as all defenders do. But so far, I've really enjoyed what I've seen from him. Yeah, I think he's been excellent. Interesting, you know, on the passes front, you know, I feel like recently we've been a bit accustomed to our 
our central defenders leading the passing stats, you know, in terms of how many times they've actually played them. But uh, the other night it was Emil Smith-Rowe playing on the left mm. side of midfield, 54 passes. Um I think just shows how more, much more sort of front-footed and how different the emphasis was. On Gabriel, as you know, my brother is a Chelsea fan. Mm. And so I often ask him about our players just to kind of get an objective assessment. He watched the game the other day and he's watched uh, a good few of our games recently. And he said, he basically said, I think Gabriel is close to the point where you could kind of put him in any team in the world. And if you put him into a top team, you kind of wouldn't notice, um, which is a very glowing assessment. Mm. But I know what he means because theoretically he has it all. He is very powerful. Um, he's a good defender, but he is now showing as well. He can be pretty good on the ball too alongside that. Mm-hmm. So I think he does deserve massive credit. I think not being a new signing is a big part of it. Tim Stillman always talks about that phenomenon of the new signing always gets player of the month, you know, in kind of August and September. Um, And if Gabriel was a new signing this summer, maybe he would have picked up those awards. I mean, he's been very, very good. So, yeah, credit to him and credit to the defence board generally. You know, it's not easy. It takes time usually for those relationships to build. Mm. But they seem to have very quickly established an understanding. I wonder if almost being thrown in at the deep end kind of forced them to do that against Norwich. And um, there seems a bit of camaraderie between them as well. So it's encouraging. It's a good platform from which to build. And like you, I think part of the reason Villa's goal doesn't bother me as much is because I'm I'm basically not as worried about that end of the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think he has been good. I mean, we had another question here as well, which is slightly relevant to this. Um, Critical T on the Discord said, in the opening moments of the match when Watkins took uh, took down Gabriel um, when he was sort of protecting the ball back to Ramsdale, if you remember, nearly our yeah, whole yeah. team surrounded the referee demanding a response. What do you make of how this compares to the team's lack of reaction to the Mopé on Leno incident? And what does it say about how our team's dynamic has changed over the last 16 months? months. I think you could even say there was a slight difference between that and what happened to Bakayo Saka on Monday, where there was a bit of recrimination, but not as much. Although I do think some of the players, you know, they didn't really see what what kind of a foul that was on Saka on Monday night. I know Aubameyang tweeted about it going, I didn't see that at the time. Like, holy shit, how's that not a red card? He didn't say holy shit, but, um, you know. He you know probably did coming. behind closed doors, I imagine. Mm. But yeah, it was quite an obscured view. It was a busy penalty box, wasn't it? And I think mm. maybe they didn't see it. I mean, I think that stuff matters. I really do. I think, uh, you know, you have to assert yourselves and you have to... I mean, the best teams in English football have tended to uh, exert some pressure on the officiating and managers as well. And... I think you've got to play the game. If you can't beat them, join them, mm. basically. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I love it. I love a bit of a rock, to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Surprise me. Yeah, well, I like it when when players stick up for each other, you know? Um, and I think it is important. It does suggest that there is a team spirit, a bit of camaraderie. Um, but it's a weird thing, you know? I don't think it's... I always remember there was one Liverpool game 
some years ago. I think it was actually Arteta. Did he get knocked out by Jordan Henderson or something like that? A bit of an off the ball. Is that where he lost his front two? No, that was against Hull. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there was a, and I always remember, like, why wasn't there more of a, a to-do there, you know, when a player gets taken out off the ball and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's it's not always a case that, like, if a team is going crazy that it means a lot, or if they don't, it, it means a lot as well. But I like to see it, and I, I, I think it just sort of told you how fired up this team was. I was sort of hoping, to be honest. I, I was like, ooh, what's the referee going to do here? Because it didn't look like a great deal to me, and then he was, like, quite quite determined to have a word with Watkins and I was like oh yeah this would be amazing a red card in the opening minute I fucking love that um but it, you know it set the tone for our performance you know the players worked for each other they looked after each other you know um and I, I like to see it so yeah we, we talked about the defense and Robert Main on Twitter said was Nuno Tavares's performance motoring up the left side the key to allowing Lacanoba to play together. And can Tierney replicate that when he comes back into the team? Well, I mean, I think if you said, what is Kieran Tierney's strength? It is that overlapping, getting up and down the left-hand side. I was really encouraged by Tavares, I have to say. I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was really fun to watch. Yeah, he kind of always has been. Yeah, I, I know we haven't seen a great deal of him, but, you know, yeah. there were moments where... Um, I think there was one moment where he went on a great run in the box and he whacked a shot way over the bar and Aubameyang was in the middle going, oh God, you should uh, you yeah. should have squared that one. And he probably should have. But, you know, the intent with which he played, particularly getting into the final third, was really good. He was great fun in the final third. I mean, he did set up that fantastic chance for Bukayo Saka. Was it after we which scored? We, Not we long after mention. we scored? Yeah, which, yeah, that should have been for 2-0. Yeah. Should have been. Now, I have to say... It wasn't his best finish, but it was also a good save by Amy Martinez. Um, you know, there was a lot to like about his performance, similarly to the the Lacazette performance, because if you're looking at, okay, Tavares played ahead of Tierney, mm. who hasn't had a great season so far for various reasons. I wouldn't pin it all on him personally. I think as a as a team, we've had, you know our performances haven't been quite as good. But, you know, Tierney is a player who we look at as somebody who can and does make a difference to the way that we play. If we play well, Kieran Tierney plays well, that kind of thing. And he hasn't really, and I think he would admit that himself. So Tavares coming in and doing that, I think is good because it shows you've got another player, but it's also a little reminder to Kieran Tierney that there's someone else in the team and in the squad who, if he gets a chance can play like that and might keep him out of the team. Not saying he will or should, but could. You know, he's a. it's a sort of performance that makes him a, le- a legitimate option. Similarly with Lacazette and Martin Odegaard, who I like as a player, but who has not been at his best for the last couple of games, for sure. No, I think he's so, been poor in the last and I, 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 The one thing I caveat with that is I would, you know, I would not play Odegaard in the role that he played against Brighton or the, uh, you know, that closer to Partey thing. I think oh, he's the, just... against them against yeah. Palace. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's just much better as a 10, a more traditional 10. I think that's his mm. best position. It's his best role. I think it's where it's where he's most effective. Um, so I, I would be more inclined to play him there. But like seeing Lacazette come in, 
hopefully is not a wake-up call for Martin Odegaard, but just a little reminder that, look, there's someone else. That if you're not playing, you're going to sit on the bench and this other guy is going to play. So yeah. I, I, I find that aspect of things encouraging because I want our players to be driven and to be competitive and to, to understand that, you know, you don't have a place in the team by default. Similarly, if any of the back five that we're, we're waxing lyrical over, if they don't play, I'm not sure they've got quite the same competition, but they need to be reminded that someone else can come in and, and do a job. Yeah, and, you know, Martin Odegaard might well be asked to play on Tuesday night against Leeds in the mm. Carabao Cup. Um, and that will be probably both a bit of a wake-up call, but also an opportunity for him to try and find some form again. Um, so I'll be intrigued to see how he fares. Just on, on Tavares, I mean, I, I'll admit I was a bit concerned about him going into the game just because it's an exciting signing in theory, right? You know, because he could be anything. We don't really know a huge deal about him. Mm. But then in practice, when you think about the, the, the obvious gap that does really exist, I think, between him and Tierney, certainly Tierney at his best and where Tavares is right now, um, it does feel like a bit of a step down, a step off. But I thought he played really, really well. Mm. I think without wishing to downplay other elements of his game, physically he is... Uh, a monster, really. I mean, yeah, he's very, very uh, like you wouldn't want him running straight at you if you're a fullback. No, I mean he could play in the NFL. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> he, he, he is um, built like the proverbial shit house, and he's very, very, very quick with that as yeah. well. I think he showed more finesse um, as the game grew on in the final third. I think he improved his delivery and things like that. I think he became more comfortable. Um, I think he's, he fancies himself for a goal, which is never a bad thing. No, no, no. This team. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed his uh, performance. And I think with the right coaching, the right instruction, he could be a really interesting uh, player and and yeah, I mean we've seen the Premier League become such a physical mm. uh, division, and I actually think physically is is one of the areas in which we were much better in this game. You know, from centre halves to centre midfield to left back to in the forward areas, physically we really really competed, and he was a big part of that. Yeah, I think the other word I would just throw in there because physicality or whatever is is obviously important we all know that but i think the word i would put is is mobility also mm. you know this is a team that can travel um and he's a, yeah. a really good example of that um so yeah look a really encouraging performance from him well done and and let's see what happens you know he might well start again on tuesday if tyranny's got a, a bruised foot um, you know, yeah. I mean, look, there is the difference, isn't it? This is this is what we're talking about when we talk about rebuilding a squad. Last year, the 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 Tierney replacement was Kalasinac or Shaka, and now we have mm -hmm. Tavares, and that's mm -hmm. it's chalk and cheese territory as well, isn't it? So, um, it is. Here's a question from the Baron, the Baron. You ever watch uh, What We Do in the Shadows? That's good. He's one of the characters in the, the battle. <laughs> yeah. I love him. Uh, Emmy Martinez got a rather frosty reception on his first time back at the Emirates with fans. Has his crying and moaning over the last year or so completely undone any goodwill accrued by his prior decade at the club? I thought this was quite funny, actually. Um, he became a bit of a pantomime villain during the game. Yeah. And I, th I think 
I know some people were quite kind of bemused by that because they're like, well, he was a very good servant. He never did anything wrong. He sort of did everything we would have asked yeah. of him. And then, you know, when it came to the crux, he didn't get the assurances he wanted. I, I, I think a lot of it is to do with uh, the amount of times that Emmy's kind of appeared in the media talking about Arsenal since he left. Yeah. And I've been quite... Um, I've been quite relaxed about that because I think I said on here, you know, maybe he's just being asked about that a lot. You know, maybe that's the question that's being thrown at him. Mm. And it's interesting, I said that to Greg Evans, who's our, our Villa correspondent um, at, during the game. And he was like, yeah, I mean, he does bring it up quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me think, okay, well, maybe there is something to this. I mean, I get it, you know, he had some recriminations, Um and, and some of them are understandable. Mm. But I also think that another factor in this is is probably the affection that a lot of the fans feel for Aaron Ramsdale. Mm. And I think this was as much about celebrating him as denigrating Emmy Martinez. That was the impression I got in the ground. Yeah. I just think, you know, sometimes a pantomime villain is a great thing in football. And Emmy Martinez is not really a, a villainous character. No. Um, it wasn't vicious at all, you no, know. No, no, no. It's just football, right? It's, it's. Yeah. Um, God, I even said that with terrorist intonation. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's banter. Um, it was. It was just, just banter. Banter. Um, I think it was harmless. I have to be honest. Yeah. I thought it was really harmless. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's. Um, I think there was a moment early in the game where Aubameyang blocked off a a kick out. And he went yeah. running over to the referee and started moaning and crying about that. And I think that's probably what sparked a lot of it, to be honest. Because I don't think Aubameyang did anything wrong. He just ran across him as he was kicking the ball out, as you've seen players do time and time and time again. I'm not really sure why he took such exception to it. Um, no, I mean, I almost thought we... I, I haven't seen a replay of that properly, but I was almost like, I don't know what he's done wrong there. Yeah, he didn't anything do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. And I think, look, Emmy Martinez should be really proud of where he is and what he's done yeah, over the last amazing. 12 months. Because for all the angst that occurred about his sale to Aston Villa, if we had sold Emmy Martinez last summer without him playing, like if Leno hadn't got injured and we just sold Martinez for a couple of million quid, I don't think anybody would have really cared that much. You know, he had a no, he had a he had a, a long time at Arsenal. Nobody ever talked about him as the number one goalkeeper ever. Um, he went on loan spells, which were yeah, they ranged from terrible to quite good, but there was never any thought, I think, in anyone's mind that he was going to become the number one goalkeeper at Arsenal. Um, and then he came in, he did brilliantly in that spell. He helped us win the FA Cup. He was, you know, he's a big personality. And from there, he got a great move for himself to Aston Villa. It's worked out great for him. Fair fucks. He's playing for the national team now. Fair fucks to him. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. So I, I think um, uh, somebody on Twitter, it was uh, Connor Whelan, who I can't remember his Twitter handle, basically talked about the Leno injury being like a sliding doors moment for Emmy Martinez in his career, which it absolutely was. So all credit to him for that. Um, but, you know, 
he's come back, he's playing for a different team, he's been talking about Arsenal a bit, about how he didn't get a fair crack of the whip or whatever, and I don't really think that's the case, to be honest. I think if he'd done more in some of his loan spells, he might have been higher up in the pecking order. Um, And then he's come back and we've got this sort of reaction from the crowd, which, like you say, I think when it comes to, you know, chants from the terrace and what have you, it, it was pretty tame. All in all. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think so. I think it was all in good fun. And uh, I don't think anyone's under the impression... Like, Martinez is a really good goalkeeper, you know? Yeah, of course. He's demonstrated that. His penalty save from Aubameyang is a brilliant save. Really brilliant save. Um, And, uh, yeah, you know, hats off to him. But uh, we have to move on at some point. You know, this is a debate that we've lived with for... A long time already. And just to follow up what you said in part one, uh, Ramsdale's kicking and distribution on the day was really excellent. So he deserves big credit for that. He does as well. And we had a little conversation offline about this, about the the, the way that the, the goalkeeping position has changed over yeah. the last number of years. It's um, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Because what we were saying is it's it's only a couple of years ago that... Bernd Leno felt like such a substantial evolution of the goalkeeping position. You know, he felt so much more lent modern mm. than Petr Cech. And here we are, literally a couple of years later, and Ramsdale feels like another step along. You know, he feels mm. significantly more modern than, than Leno. It, it's changing very, very fast, that position. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there was um, a tweet that you sent me from a guy called John Harrison, uh, who's at yeah, JD he's good, he's good, that Harrison 1, um, and he said, there was a pass map of Aaron Ramsdale against Aston Villa. He said, this pass map is genuinely outrageous. I don't think I've ever seen a goalkeeper record a 100% successful and positive open play game where they were pressed on 40% of their passes and where they attempted to break the opposition's formation with 67% of their passes. And, um, you know, there are a couple of passes. This, he has this one right up the middle that we've seen a few times now, yeah. which is like, at first it's like, <gasps> what's he doing? Is it a miss kick? You know, when you see a goalkeeper <laughs> kind of put it down and you're like, where's that going? But it, it, it comes to a player. And I think he's helped a bit by the fact that the players are aware that he's got this pass and they come to the ball. You know, it's not simply a a, a case that he's playing the ball to a static man. There are, there are Arsenal players looking for the pass. But there was another one to Tommy Yasu. Um, just down the right-hand side. I mean, it's not the most um, unbelievably incisive pass that you'll ever see any footballer make, but he played it down the right into his path, as we talked about the other week, you know, a pass that goes into the stride of a player so he doesn't have to stop and check back. And, like, I'm not being critical of Leno here, but I've never seen Leno make that pass. Like, I've seen him be tidy on the ball and what have you, but I've never seen him make those kinds of passes. So it's an aspect of Ramsdale's game, which I think is is really interesting. And uh, I think it's obviously part of why Mikel Arteta was so keen to to bring him in this summer. Yeah, the Staffordshire Edison. That's what they're calling it. The Staffordshire (laughs) (laughs) No, but it is interesting. And even you go to, I don't know if the cameras pick this up, but a couple of goal kicks where... Gabrielle takes the goal kick to tap it to Ramsdale for him to play it out. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, you know, they'll I put the ball down. That. I didn't notice that. If the that. ball goes out behind the goal, 
they put the ball down on the corner of the box and Gabrielle will take it to give it to Ramsdale to be like, okay, now play. You know, that's mm. quite unusual and you certainly wouldn't imagine Bern Leno um, be in that position. So, again, I, I to be honest, I almost feel for Leno in the situation. It's like the speed at which this is moving is, is crazy and developing and, I, you know, I guess Arsenal, uh, they want to push the envelope with that. Mm. But, um yeah, Ramsdale's kicking was great. And that ball out to Tomiyasu was sort of one of those moments that you think, oh, oh, I, I really liked the look he gave Lukonga. Very gifable look, right? <laughs> I think it has been gift. I think it yeah. has been gift. It's, it's gift slash meme territory already, that one. And look, I, I think we also have to give him credit for a very, very good save from Emi Buendia, who uh, spent whatever time he was on the pitch doing a wonderful impression of the Invisible Man until that moment where he did have that chance. I think mm. it's a better save than it looks because Ramsdale moves his feet very, very quickly uh, to make the, the save with his legs. So, um, yeah, another good day for him. Um, Preventing the absolute inevitability of uh, well, yeah, scoring against us. Yeah, I mean, that would have been like, oh, told you we should have bought him, even though he was fucking cack on the night um, he was just not there you know um, he's been like that all season from what I'm told um, which is interesting you know clearly a super talented player and a player Arsenal did like level. well I mean it, it is an interesting question I think there is there are some people who start to say you know he didn't set the Premier League on light you know when he was with Norwich um I'm sure you'll get there. But no, look, it's it is, an interesting one to watch. It's early days in the season. You know, it's only seven or eight games in and he is playing, um, you know, for a new club. So maybe he'll take And a slightly time. different role as well. Yeah. He's playing kind of behind the front two. He played it a lot on the right for Norwich last season. Mm. But yeah, I will see. We need Martin Odegaard to start playing better again before we can really, you know, do that comparison Yeah, yeah but in the meantime, we've got Smith-Rowe doing it so we can just, yeah. you know, li- live vicariously. <laughs> we've got options. We've, we've got, got options. options. Exactly. All right. Have you got anything else or shall we leave it there for today and get this out for people to listen to? I think let's get it out because people, you know, they want to enjoy it. And also, it's not that long till we play again, right? Tuesday night. Yeah. Expecting a very rotated team for that one? I think so. I think so. A cup game. Um, maybe it's a chance to get some more minutes into some legs as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, he does have to keep some of the players who are in the squad or on the bench. He's got to keep them uh, involved. Um, but it'll be tough. I don't think, you, you know, Leeds is not the kind of game where you can make 11 changes to this squad and expect to win the game easily or anything like that. They're a very difficult team to play against. We've had a couple of games. We had a cup game against them last year, didn't we? Um, that mm. We won, and but it, it is going to be tough. So, yeah, I expect some rotation. Maybe we'll see, you know, players like Martinelli come in. Pepe should play. Um, you know, maybe one of the, the young strikers, who knows, but it could be a chance to get more minutes into the legs of Lacazette if you want to try and build a bit of fitness. Not a great deal we can do with midfield. Um, do you play Partey or not to Partey? You know, all those kind of questions that'll come in. But it will be interesting to see how we go on Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there will be a couple of um, first-team players mm. out there, you know, just... To balance the team, and because in some areas we're a bit more stretched, but yeah, uh, I think a lot of fans will be very excited about the prospects of seeing Gabriel Martinelli start again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see. I hope he makes a good impression. All right. Well, look. Um, thank you as always for being here. Much appreciated. We get it out for you on a Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.